Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to our interview podcast episodes, and we are zigging a little bit uh, this week. I am really, really excited to have Paul Biancardi, the ESPN uh, men's college basketball recruiting coordinator, evaluator, um, master of, of all trades, and jack of none of them. I'm going to say that, uh, Coach. So uh, <laughs> really, really excited to have him on here this week. Uh, Coach has a little bit of limited time here, so I, and I want to get as many questions in with him as we possibly can. First of all, Paul, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I know we've been kind of messaging each other back and forth here the last few weeks, and uh, just really excited that we finally are able to hook up. Yes, Marty. Thank you, and thank you for your flexibility. It's it's been more on my end. Uh, we had to reschedule a few times, but I am certainly glad we made it happen tonight. Yes. Yeah, so, um, what I wanted to do here is for for the folks listening, a coach, uh, of course. Uh, uh, Paul is a former coach, was assistant coach at a couple of different spots, had a couple of really good, a uh, couple of successful runs here, made it to a Final Four uh, at Ohio State. Uh, I, I grew up in Iowa. Paul, and so for me to compliment Ohio State, that's that's a little bit difficult for me to do, but for the good of the podcast, I'm going to go ahead and do that here. That's a joke, by the way. So, uh, but uh, you know, uh, just we're we're going to talk about coaching, some of the things that 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 Paul has seen over the years, and uh, you know, let's let's just dive in. I'm I'm done talking. I want to I want to have folks have a chance to listen to you. So. Um, you know how, how how did this all all come about? Um, you know, with the with the recruiting expert, did the, you know uh, you got out of coaching, uh, and and then did, was it just something you were always kind of interested in? Um, did, did ESPN kind of recruit you to do this? How did how did that how did that process of of getting to where you're at today all come about? Well, it's a great story, Marty, because I was coaching at St. Louis University with Rick Majerus. Yep. And the season was over, mm-hmm. and ESPN was just starting uh, on the ground floor of girls and boys basketball. Build a recruiting site. They started it on the football side, uh-huh. and so one of my former teammates from Salem State, uh, Dave Fazio, he was one of our captains, and and him and I were very very close, and uh, he was he was. He knew the person who was doing the hiring for the position. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was, you know, brand new position, never been done before. Uh, It actually started at a company called Scouts, Inc. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Scouts, Inc. was supplying recruiting information uh, to ESPN on the football side with Tom Luganbill, Craig Hobart, uh, Billy Tucker. And those guys are still doing it today. Uh, But the premise was to get people that were really qualified who can evaluate high-level prospects, who understand the recruiting process, basically coaches who have done it before or guys that have played at a high level. So when I got the phone call for the position, it it wasn't something I was looking for. It was something that they asked if I was interested in, and I I basically said no Mm -hmm. uh, because of the fact that I was, you know, very happy with Rick Majerus. I was with who I believe is one of the greatest teachers in basketball at any level. Mm-hmm. And certainly he was on his way to the Hall of Fame, I thought, uh, before his passing. So I gave the gentleman the name of the some coaches that I thought would be great fits. Yeah, And, and he called me back and kind of said, you know what, they, they were good, but I want to know what can I do to get you. And, um, you know, that doesn't happen very many times in your life, right? Where somebody wants you for a job. Uh, so I took a more serious interest in it, uh, talked it through a little bit more, and, and then talked to Coach Majerus about it. And uh, some, some really close friends that were in the basketball or coaching profession, because I think it's so important to have a kind of a round table of advisors, people that know you. You know, they know your your good side and maybe your not so good side, and people you can bounce ideas off of that have your best interest in mind. Yep. Uh, and when I did all that, and, and I certainly talked to my wife, and my wife, I met her at Boston College. She was the head women's soccer coach, so she had a really deep background in coaching. 
And um, then we just decided to take the job uh, because I felt it was a unique opportunity. It's never been done before. Uh, you're still deep into the game of basketball. You're on television for the first time in your life yeah. uh, as an analyst for high school games and college games. You're writing on ESPN.com about players and, and about teams in the college level. Uh, so you, you get to be an analyst at the worldwide leader. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, it was very intriguing from that standpoint. Uh, so I took the opportunity and uh, I think we've built it up to where maybe we're considered the, the standard in the industry when it comes to recruiting mm -hmm. uh, information, when it comes to the evaluation of players, when it comes to uh, player rankings, and then obviously how these players fit into the college game. And so that's how it came about. And once I got into it, I felt I could always go back to coaching. Yep. And quite frankly, I've had many opportunities, but nothing that was better than what I had. And then I kept enjoying it. I, I work with some tremendous people at ESPN. And um, I, I, I really fell in love with the job. And it was basketball, and it still is basketball 24-7. Mm -hmm. and, and it really has provided a great existence for my family because in coaching, as you well know, sometimes it can be a little volatile. Yep. And um, you may have to move. Yeah. And so I moved my daughters a couple of times. And, you know, each time you move, it's more difficult on them. Mm -hmm. So I felt this position had a lot of stability at the time. Yep. That hopefully we could get the girls through high school. And once that happens, then, you know, if something changes after that, so be it. But wanted them to get through the high school. Mm -hmm. um, years in one place and, and we've done that uh, and it's been a real blessing to do that not to move um, but it, again it, it's been a wonderful experience and uh, I'm so glad I, I took advantage of the opportunity and I'm so grateful to my former teammate and, and the person who hired me at the time his name is Dave Gieslin and uh, he's the one who started Scouts Inc he's the one who created a company right now called Three Step uh, they are probably the biggest event company in grassroots sports in the nation. And uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant guy. And, uh, you know, he loves sports and he loves business and he knows how to parlay the two together. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, one of the guys that you you played for or that, that you work with was, was Rick Majerus. We'll get to Coach Majerus in just a second. I'm really curious uh, how relaxed and quiet and introverted was Tom Thibodeau when he was your college coach? <laughs> None of the above. <laughs> I, uh, Tibbs wasn't much older than I was uh -huh. uh, because he was a senior when I tried out for the team as a freshman. Wow. And I was not recruited. I wasn't very good, but I had a mad passion and, and real almost borderline obsession for the game. Uh, in turn, I grew up a Celtic fan. I grew up five minutes from the old Boston Garden. Mm -hmm. I watched every college game back then that was on TV, which was the Big East, you know, Boston College, Syracuse, Connecticut. You watched the ACC with Carolina, Duke, Maryland, um, the, the, the Pac-12 at the time, UCLA. So I, I just loved basketball from as a player standpoint and knew I wanted to be a coach. So, you know, I met Tom. Um, through Salem State, but it, it took a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So so the first year that I tried out for the team, Marty, I got cut mm -hmm. at, because I was a walk-on. Sure. Uh, and as walk-ons go, it means nobody wants you really or you to invite yourself to the party. And um, got cut. Second year, I tried out again. And I uh, broke my ankle right in the middle of tryouts. So in the third season, um, Tom Thibodeau uh, became... Uh, the assistant coach of the team. And uh, I think he valued what I brought to the team in terms of traits, uh, you know, the intensity level, the, the work ethic, um, being a good teammate, all, all the things that coaches look upon uh, for their walk-ons and, and for all players. You know, a guy who had good basketball IQ and coachable. So I tried to excel in those areas. So I, I finally got on the team as a walk-on. And then senior year, uh, Tom became the head coach, mm -hmm. and um, he made me a captain of the team. Awesome. But he was he was phenomenal at what he did at such a young age. I mean, you talk about dedication and drive. 
um, just just high level dedication to his craft and and a, and a drive like I've never seen even to this day. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, for guys like me who love the game, you know, he takes your love and passion to another level. Uh, he challenges you, and I tell people all the time to this day: if you love to compete and you love to win, Coach Tibbs is your guy. Yeah, because he's going to take what you are and make you better. Yeah, uh, whether it's a walk-on at Division Three like myself, or or Jimmy Butler and turning him into an NBA All Star. Yep, that's how good of a coach he is. Player development coach, uh, excellent strategist, and um, just somebody who I really admire and respect a lot. Couple other guys I wanted to talk about with you, Paul. Uh, you, you spent a lot of time with Jim O'Brien, which I think in the time period of the '80s and '90s. Uh, kind of gets lost in the shuffle uh he was a really really good basketball coach uh you know what was what were some of the things that you learned from coach o'brien well he was a tremendous coach especially on the offensive end but um, just a guy who could really game plan for the opponent uh a, a player's coach and i say that because he was a great player at boston college he played in the old aba he had a great feel for the game especially from the point guard position uh, we always recruited excellent point guards at Boston College and Ohio State, and he had a gift to elevate the point guards um, in terms of their individual game and, and blending their game into into the team. Uh, I'd say for Coach O'Brien, in terms of his his gift to the game, yeah, very relatable to the players. Uh, but you know, you know, he draws a line in terms of what's best for the team. Mm-hmm. That comes first, and then the player individually comes second. And uh, from an offensive standpoint, I, I thought he was fabulous because he would come up with different strategies sometimes within the Big East games, little wrinkles yeah. and tweaks in what we did uh, to win games. I'll give you a great example. Uh, the greatest example may be in 1994 at Boston College. We had a great team of seniors. We had Billy Curley, mm-hmm. um, six six nine young man, McDonald's All-American. Yep. And we had Howard Isley ended up playing in the NBA for 15 years. Point guard for uh, the Jazz on their finals runs, yep. Correct. And then we had two outstanding other players, Malcolm Huckabee, Gerard Abram. Uh, These were seniors, so they went through a season of 1-15 in the Big East in my first year in in full-time in the Big East. And then their senior year, um, we made it to the Elite Eight. And one of the teams we beat along the way was North Carolina and Dean Smith. Mm-hmm. And, and they had Jerry Stackhouse, Rasheed Wallace, that Eric team was loaded. Yep, That team was number one in the country coming off national championship. They were the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And we were an eight seed, and we beat them um, with the right to go play Bobby Knight next in Indiana. But the, the game plan was they were so big and they trapped along the baseline and we played a three guard offense way before three guard offenses were even thought of in college basketball Uh, we didn't get a lot of size uh, to recruit at boston college so we had to play three guards um so we we played an offensive style against carolina where we would drive the baseline and they would trap it we throw behind, throw it to the top and to the other side and count on open threes from the weak side. And it really worked. We made 14 threes in that game, and we had to make double-figure threes to beat them. But just that game plan of you know driving the baseline, making two guys shut you off, throwing out, getting it to the other side quickly, uh, and, and making open threes, we put our best shooter on the weak side, uh, it really helped us in that game. So... Uh, fantastic strategist. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know the legend, Coach Majerus. That that if you don't know who Coach Majerus is, you know I, it's a good thing you're listening to this podcast because we're going to talk about him the next couple of minutes here. So, you know, what about Coach Majerus? Made you know what was so special about him? Well, a lot of things. First of all, I don't think people really knew who he was as a person. Uh, you were either in or out of his circle. Uh, there was no in between. Um, you know, he was a very caring man uh, away from basketball, had a big heart. Uh, but sometimes he could be very combustible in practice uh-huh. um, or, in the, or in the locker room. Um, there were two sides to Rick Majerus, but you had, you had to be with him to know him. But from a basketball standpoint, uh, one of the best teachers of the game that I've ever been around, and that's my time in the Big East 
against Jim Calhoun, Jim Beheim, Roly Massimino, Lou Carnesecca, uh, Steve Lapis was at yep. going over. I mean, it's just PJ Carlissimo. It, the list goes on and on. You bet. Yep. And then you go in the Big Ten. You had Tom Davis at Iowa. You had Bobby Knight and all the Gene great coaches. Katie. Yep. Gene Katie and Tom Izzo. Yep. But but in terms of a teacher. He was he was far and away one of the best I've ever been around, um, and so what he got is the players to buy into the details of the game and and his teaching, and you know he he coached the game in phrases, uh, but he taught the game in paragraphs in practice, and he was tremendous with the film study, and uh, just just a guy that you know his teams were not going to beat themselves. Um, you know, eventually when they figured out his four out one in motion and his defensive principles, um, we were a hard team to beat, even if we didn't have a lot of talent. So, you know, coach could coach could make players better than they were because he made them believe, but he also made them go through the work from a physical standpoint and a skill standpoint. Very little slippage mm-hmm. in his game day approach, very little slippage in his uh, practices, his film sessions, uh, details will follow to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I really learned a lot from Coach. Mm-hmm. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece, with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. What do you miss about coaching? Well, I think you, if you've coached a game and then you're not coaching, I think you miss the people. I, you miss the players. You miss being with the staff. You miss that day-to-day work ethic, uh, the meetings, the practices, the shoot-arounds. Certainly, you miss the games. But for me, I I miss what leads up to the game. Mm -hmm. And and that's all the work that you do. And believe it or not, I I miss the post-game, either being really high and happy from a win or being miserable after a loss and trying to figure out how can we be better. Yeah. Uh, So there's so many things I miss, but when you think about it, um, when I think about it, I, I, I think about the people that you're not with on a day-to-day basis, right? Your team, your staff, um, and certainly you get to see your fan base. So there, there's a collective effort there. And, uh, you know, you miss that. I miss that part of it because I've always wanted to be a coach and I had a chance to do it at the highest level, multiple schools, and got to be a head coach. So I certainly got a chance to fulfill the, the dream that I had. Mm-hmm. Um you know, now uh, I'm guessing most of the time that you spend, you know, perhaps not all the time that you spend, but most of the time that you spend evaluating players, it's it's via the AAU. And, uh, you know, but there's there's that world where the AAU crosses over with the high school stuff. And sometimes those worlds collide not in the most positive of fashions. You know, what can we do to help high school and AAU? I, I think things are better than they were 15, 20 years ago, but I obviously there's there's issues. There's AAU coaches pushing high school players to certain high school programs and, uh, you know, just a, a lot of different things there. Uh, AAU coaches, you know, pushing uh, the AAU program over the high school experience sometimes, you know, is, is kind of the, you know, two or three big things that high school coaches get frustrated with when it comes to AAU. How can we make this work better, Paul? How can we ma- all make it work better? Well, if you think about it, it looking at two sets of coaches. Uh-huh. So if the two sets of coaches can have the same goal and agenda, which is to help players become better individually and win collectively, that's the simple answer. Um, but now in high school basketball, and maybe it has been for a while, you know, there, sometimes there's control. Uh, who wants the control? Who wants the influence? Where the agendas lie? And, and sometimes, you know, it's with the club team, and sometimes it's with the high school team. 
And I think each coach should be respectful of each other's season uh, because you want someone to be good where they are and then move on to the next season. Uh, Communication is a big part of that. If, if coaches aren't willing to talk and, and aren't willing to at least share their views on what their situation is and how important the kids are to them in terms of individuals and, and what their team goals are, it's really hard for those two entities to work together. And now you throw in trainers mm-hmm. um, who are, we're hoping that they're trying to train players to be better for AAU in high school yeah. versus trying to say, on social media that they train certain high profile players so they can make more money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's all about agendas. Everybody has one. If, if you can find out what the other person's agenda is, then you can find out if you can work with them or you can't. Yeah. You see a lot of coaches, you evaluate a lot of kids again, high school, AAU college. Uh, you, you see, you see probably everything. And you've probably seen about everything. It would be hard to surprise you, Mr. Biancardi. So, but what are what are two or three common mistakes that you see coaches mis- that coaches make that you know are so preventable and and coaches should not be doing? Well, when I look back at, at my own career, I, I try to self analyze what I could have done better, which were many things. But one of the things that I was so driven by was to be a great coach and i think at times that didn't make me a good teacher of the game gotcha and that's why that's why i was so fascinated with rick majerus because as great of a basketball strategist in mind that he has for the game uh, his teaching ability was at a different level and so and and that believe me i've been with jim o'brien who was coach of the year in the atlantic 10 the big east and the big 10 and prior to him Marty, I was with Mike Jarvis, who was an oh, outstanding yeah. basketball coach. Absolutely. And he, and he taught me so many things when I was at Boston University. A great defensive coach, uh, somebody you really want to play for. I, I, co- I worked with Jim Nelson, who was a Division three head coach, well-known in the New England circles, um, and, and just a fabulous mind for the game, and really a great player in his own right, but somebody who, who gave me a lot of free reigns as a young assistant uh, to make decisions and to learn how to be a coach. So I, I've been with guys that have just been great people and top-shelf coaches. So I would say for today's coach, you know, concentrate on being a great teacher of the game as well as being a strategist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number one, I, I think, the, the biggest mistake that I made, so I'd look back. And I think the second thing is today it's a different generation of person. Right. Not only has the game changed where the Golden State Warriors and, and, and certain individuals like a Trey Young of the world, you know, they've they've changed how the game's played. So the game's change and also the generation of players. We're, we're dealing with a generation called G- Generation Z. Yep. And, and you have to understand who you're coaching. And so for me, I, I go out and do clinics all across the country on coaching today's player. And for today's coach. You need to care about the person before you coach the player. You have to work on the relationship uh, before you work on the results. And once you do that and have a deep understanding of who you're coaching and the players want to know how much you care about them and how much you know about them and what's your plan for them, um, there's no more my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 there's no more dictatorships in, in coaching. Yep. Maybe for the chosen few uh, of the elite, in terms of college, uh, certainly not the NBA. Uh, you have to be more accessible and, and you have to spend more time with your players today off the court so you can coach them in a more demanding way on the court that's needed uh, mm-hmm. to be successful, as you know, in, in tough, challenging times during the game. Uh, but you have to get to know your, your players, all of them, 1 through 12, uh, before you start really coaching them hard. And they need to know... You have a plan for them, and they need to know that you care about them. What do what do coaches in the United States need to learn from international coaches? I, th- I think international coaches, you know, we we have the traditions, um, and we are the birthplace of basketball. Um, so to put it in football terms, sometimes 
you know, we still run I formation and wishbone while they're coming up with uh, four and five wideouts and RPOs and that type of thing. And I'm really fascinated as I get older to take a look at the international game and, and what are things we need to take here from the states from the international game. So what have you seen as you've evaluated maybe some kids internationally that you see international coaches doing a really, really good job of? Well, to begin with, when I was coaching, I was recruiting international players and, and their footwork Mm-hmm. is always on point and their shooting ability is always in my mind um, maybe maybe up until the last few years maybe still uh, their ability to shoot the ball and their footwork has been on point or advanced for their age uh, the second thing I just was over in Italy and, and England and France last August uh, we were televising uh, Bronny James and his team against under 18 competition and going to the practices of the European clubs. I love the way the coaches coach the shot clock mm-hmm. and, and, and our coaches at the high school level um, really aren't experienced at it. Uh, we, we finally allowing states to have a high school shot clock. It's, it's taken, you know, forever to get the shot clock in the game. Far too long. And now, yeah. Now state associations, are allowed to implement shot clocks. And I think each year you're going to see more and more. I believe now we're at 14 states that utilize a shot clock with more coming. But I love the way the international coaches coach the shot clock. They coach spacing uh, and they coach ball reversal. And um, it's beautiful basketball to watch. So I'd like to see our high school and college coaches um, take a cue from that end of the floor from the international coaches. Um. When it comes to recruiting, you know, again, that's that's your wheelhouse, and 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 I want to dive in there for a little bit, Paul. Um, what has 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 recruiting gotten too complicated at times? Well, recently we've had an abundance of different issues, mm-hmm. or, or, or or I should say, not issues, but different rules and policies that have come into the game. Yeah, COVID came into the game. Yep. And, and players still have COVID eligibility. That's going to last for the next two years. So players, when they finish their season, they still have that COVID year um, to come back for another year at their institution or to go to another institution. That's going to last for two more years, and that is affecting uh, high school recruiting, certainly. Uh, the the portal has changed. The ability yeah. to transfer and play right away um, has, has made transferring – something that more players are doing than ever before. I think that will calm down. I think players will realize because there's so many left in the portal that maybe it's not a great idea to, to leave right away where you are unless there's a, an extenuating circumstance or, or something that's so much better for you out there somewhere else. And, and then the last thing is NIL. Yeah. So you incorporate all three entities at the same time. You've got COVID eligibility, You've got the portal, and you've got kids um, receiving money for their name, image, and likeness, which is phenomenal because they're getting paid basically for their their brand that they are. Yeah. Which we all, which I think any person would would say this is great. Now, how they handle that and how they approach it, maybe not so good. But the fact that some kids can get compensated or at least have trade situations uh, based on their athletic ability. I, I think it's wonderful how it's being handled and how it's um, and how the kids are handling it and their parents. It, it gets a little bit out of whack when it comes to recruiting and, and other things, but it's a trying time, but sure. it's a time we'll get through because everything is the first time around and they all came together at the same time. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, college athletics is about recruiting. The NBA is about drafting. Yeah. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin? and all the resources it offers, go to com, a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. Um, would, if there was one one or two things that you would like to change about the recruiting process, I mean, anything, it can be from 
live periods, more live periods, less live periods, whatever whatever comes to top of mind for you, Paul, what would one or two things be that you would like to change the recruiting process? Well, I think the NCAA and the coaches are always looking for time periods when to move the evaluation period based on now the portal. Yeah. Now the, the portal bleeds into April, so now they're looking at May as being an evaluation period. May's never been an evaluation period. And so I think they're always going to tweak those evaluation periods. Uh, time on the road, uh, I think, is good. It's not too much during the season. and It's, it's still plenty in the off season. So I think when coaches can go out, uh, they can make the most of their opportunities. They'll always adjust to the calendar, we'll say. The one thing that I would love to have happen for coaches and for players is to have a shutdown period, not a quiet period, not a dead period, but a shutdown period where there is no recruiting going on whatsoever, no phone calls, no text messages. Um, nothing is being done by anyone if you follow the rule. And this allows coaches um, you know, some time away from the process to, to kind of recharge their batteries and, and get a vacation and not worrying about what somebody else is doing. And for players, it's really good because they – they constantly get uh, bombarded by coaches and in terms of, you know, pulling on them and expressing interest and wanting to have contact with them, which is part of the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see a shutdown maybe in August. You get off the road July 31st. And everybody takes 10 days. Nobody can do anything. So coaches can maybe relax, maybe take a vacation, maybe spend more time with their family and players can get away from the coaches that are recruiting them for a little bit and take a break and maybe have another shutdown period uh, somewhere else during the calendar. But certainly I'd go the first 10 days in August. What seems, what seems to be the most, you know, again, and and you're, you're carrying it out and and you've done this for, you know, gosh, what is it? It's about 20 years now, isn't it coach? You know, um, 30, 30, 30 plus, 30 started, plus. But yeah, started, as soon as I graduated from Salem State, yeah, um, you know, I was on that long extended plan, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went right into coaching. So, yeah, I, I, I was really coaching when I was playing at Salem State. I was coaching CYO basketball. Uh, but then I started coaching high school in Division three. Gotcha. You know, yep. at 23 years old. Yep. Um, what? What, where do you land on a kid specializing in one sport as opposed to uh, playing multiple sports and being involved in, in multiple things? Uh, there's, there's, that, that's a big debate amongst high school coaches, which I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, where, 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 where are you at in that, in that debate? I think it's great to specialize, but not at the extent of not playing another sport. So I would have a primary sport, but certainly play another sport if I enjoyed it and wanted to, to participate in it, compete in it. I think playing multiple sports is so much better than specializing in one uh, for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, you can, you can get injuries doing the same thing over and over again, no matter yeah. what kind of trainers you have, you're using the same muscles and, um, you know, and movements 10, 12 months a year. I, I think it's good when you play a different sport, you have different movements. You, you get coached by different coaches in terms of um, terminology, uh, your coachability, mm-hmm. working with different teammates than you do in the primary sport. So yeah. I'm a big advocate of playing multiple sports uh, for a lot of reasons. And uh, you can still have a primary sport, but... If guys could even play a third sport in the summer, whether it's um, baseball, track, it, it all bleeds into your primary sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at some of the guys like a Pat Connaughton, who's in the NBA. Yep, he, he's from Massachusetts, my home state. Stud pitcher, I'm, stud pitcher. Yeah, you know, stud basketball player, and and obviously he made it to the NBA, and you know, he put a lot of time into his baseball career. So I think it's good mentally, and I think it's it's great physically to play multiple sports. Mm-hmm. I, I love this quote that you had on social media, Paul. Um, you don't have to prove yourself, but you do have to improve yourself. That's how you impress others. And I think that's a great way to summarize the the recruiting process, the evaluation process. Uh, 
you know, most of these college coaches, they're not looking at your floor. They're looking at your ceiling. And if you continue to show improvement, that's more important than necessarily where you're at right now. I'm guessing that's a uh, one of the major factors is, as you look at kids, as you're putting stuff together, as, as coaches are evaluating players, isn't it? It is, and it's something that I actually came up with on my own just oh. from the evaluation and recruiting. When, once I started working at ESPN, it became recruiting all year round and evaluating all the time. And so it, it, you know, I did it at the Big Ten level, Big East level, Atlantic Ten, Horizon League. And you think you're pretty good at it. But when you start to do just one thing in terms of a professional career, uh, you, you take a path where you are constantly in the gym evaluating prospects of what they bring to the table now, what what they have in their potential. And you, you almost become like an NBA scout. Yeah. And so I kept watching players uh, trying to impress people and I didn't see them improve. And I think that that's my coaching eye that I bring to the evaluation game where I say, if you just improve a little bit more, I think you'll start to impress people more, but you can't take a shortcut you know, to improvement and you can't take a shortcut to, to, a, to a, any result. And, and I said it one time at a camp and it just kind of flowed out. Actually, I was working the Vince Carter skills camp. Yeah. And I said, all you, all you guys are trying to prove yourself to everybody here, scouts, media, Vince Carter, each other. I said, you got to concentrate on improving yourself and that's how you'll impress people. And I, I guess that phrase took a lot of people you know, by storm and, and it, kids took it to heart yeah. because, because as a coach, and, and again, you, you, you've coached for a long time and you love to coach, you understand you can only prove yourself so many times, but you can improve yourself on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about all the great wins we've ever had because we were so focused on proving that Boston College could beat Syracuse. Yep. Great, great, we did it. What happens the next day in practice? Are we still trying to prove ourselves or are we not trying to improve ourselves? And what happens when we go from playing Syracuse to a Division II school? Mm-hmm. We, we don't have the same approach because we're so keyed up on proving ourselves. So if you take that attitude of we got to be better in these areas, then then I think you get a more consistent approach and a more consistent outcome. Mm-hmm. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. We got about ten minutes left here, Paul. Let's 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 do a, a a not rapid fire, but you know a quicker fire. How about that? So, uh, let's let's go through some things here. Let's go through just through your experiences, uh, especially in your ESPN days here, as you're kind of looking at the big picture. What's what's a kid that you missed that you were like, ah, you know, I'm not. He's not. I I don't think he's at the level that I think that he's at that, that you were like, man, I'm, I missed on that kid. I missed on that one. He was, he, he turned out a heck of a lot better than what I thought he was going to be. You said we only have 10 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all up to you, man. That's all up no, to you. I'd you, love to have you on here as long as you want. So no, when you, when you play, when you, when you're ranking and evaluating, yeah. just like NBA scouts, you, you got to hit on hopefully most and miss on some. Sure. Uh, there's so many players that you miss on, but also you look at why maybe you might have missed. And sometimes it's the player developed late and you didn't miss. You saw what you saw at the time. There was no reason for a 
uh, potential down the road of of the magnitude that maybe the player turned out to. Uh-huh. But I, but I kind of look at okay, whatever I saw in high school is what I saw, uh-huh. and, and you saw, you see that for multiple years, and then you project what they could be like in college, and you're pretty close on that. Yeah. And and then the last part of it is okay, where do they fall into the NBA draft? Yeah. Now how they're going to be NBA players? I don't think the NBA scouts and, and GMs and personnel. They never know. Sure. They, they, they do every bit of research yep. and study and, and evaluation and analyzation possible. Metrics, film, character, they do everything. And sometimes guys don't pan out based on their draft uh, status. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, th- there were guys over the years that when I think back to maybe a class of uh, 2017, mm-hmm. you know, Jaleel Okafor was number one for us, Miles Turner number two, Cliff yep. Alexander number three. And then you go down, and Carl Anthony Towns was number nine, uh-huh. uh, and and he's really had a, a, he had a better career. He's having a better career than Okafor, and Cliff Alexander didn't make it. Yep. And Miles Miles Turner had a is, is having a, a very good career, solid career. I bet. Yeah. yeah, and I would say Carl Anthony Towns, you know, being number nine in high school and number one Okafor, that you know Anthony Towns. Having a better pro career, but again, I wasn't judging on on who would have a better pro career. Uh-huh. I was judging it based on where they would be in the draft and how they would play in college. Now, Carl Anthony Towns was very good at Kentucky, and Okafor was terrific at Duke. So that that yeah. was kind of a wash. But yeah, uh, well, I think when you look back, I, I'm, I'm not surprised Carl Anthony Towns is so good. But you know, he passed a lot of the people in front of him. Yeah. Well, and and Okafor won a national championship, so it, it was right. you know I mean he was uh, him and and uh, Justice Winslow were the two best players yep. on that team, uh, you know if I'm thinking back to it correctly. So and it, and Tyus Jones was fabulous too. Now there's a guy, you know, that I I I was rooting for him to to make the NBA, and he he made it as a backup, and now he's still in the NBA, and uh-huh. he's he's with the Memphis Grizzlies, and he's getting a lot of playing time. He he was with the Minnesota Timberwolves, yep, but. I think by and large, what happens is you look at guys and you say, wow, why didn't he make it? Like Cliff Alexander, he played so hard in high school um, and he was a a ferocious rebounder, not very skilled, um, but he played the game really hard and he was big. And and, in 217, bigs were still popular in the game. Um, and, and, And then he moved on to the college level. But, you know, he just he just didn't make it after that. And usually when guys don't make it and they're highly touted, uh, there's usually some sort of a character issue or character flag that, that you know, prevents them from being the best that they can be. Uh-huh. Um, how about this? Let's, let's give you an attaboy. Who's a, who's a guy that you saw that maybe some other people weren't as high on that turned out to be, you know, a star? That you feel like ah, I nailed that one. Yeah, you don't you don't feel good about the ones you miss, and you don't feel <laughs> good about the ones you, you, you nail. Um, that's 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 why we did that's why we did it in the order that we did it, Paul. Yeah, no, I, I mean there's there's just so many guys that I feel good about that you just feel like you had them evaluated the right way, and you thought they would be uh, what they are, and and certainly when it comes to college or the NBA draft, it makes you feel good that you kind of. I don't want to say hit it right, but you feel comfortable that they're really good. And I think if you look outside the top 10, top 20, top 30 players in the country, which are all elite. Yeah. First, And let me just say this. If you're a ranked player, you're the elite of the elite. You bet. Because only only 1% of high school seniors, 1% play Division One, whether yep. it's Creighton, Wright State, Nebraska, Ohio State. Yep. All the Division One players combined – uh, they make up one percent of the high school graduating class. So if you're ranked in the top hundred, you're yep. doing you're doing really well. I mean, you yep. are the star of stars. Yep. Um, I, I look at a, a young man that I knew from Massachusetts, uh, and he was a ranked player, but he, he has really exceeded all expectations uh, in many ways. And that's George Niang. Oh and yeah. He just signed. A, he just signed a huge contract. <laughs> Uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he was fantastic in Philly, and he's a great example of, you know, undersized, skilled, enormous basketball IQ, mm-hmm. great work ethic, toughness. You now he brings everything to the table that a coach would want, and he maximizes his ability. 
you know, he's finished in the 50s, which is, again, you're a ranked player, you're elite. Um, but he's having a career that would you would look back and say, gee, he must have been a McDonald's All-American. Uh, no, he wasn't. But he was exceptionally good in high school on the club circuit. You know, he was teammates with Wayne Selden, who played at Kansas, and Nerlens Noel in high school. Yeah. And, and George was the lowest ranked of the three and is having the best, better NBA career. Now, Wayne, I, I don't believe, got drafted. Nerlens was obviously a top pick. Um, and, 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 and George's was a, a second-round pick, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's a guy who just kind of somebody who's always impressed me and, and kind of somebody who I always believed in mm-hmm. and knew that he could do great things and, and he's done them. So I, I'm happy for him and um, I'm glad I was right. Yeah. Well, Iowa guy too, you know. So there you go. I, Iowa State. So that that's appropriate here. <laughs> there you go. But, but look, there, there's a lot of guys I thought would do better. Um, you know, you, you you spurred my my thought process. Jaden Hardy. I thought in the oh, class yep. of, of 2021, I thought, yep. you know, the number two player, he was fabulous in high school. And he went to the G League um, and he did well there. And, and, you know, it's taken him some time at the next level. Um, but I, I thought it was a guy who maybe would have did better. I had him in front of Paulo Bancaro. So that wasn't right. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> Out of high school. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, misses, I, you know, there, there are always misses. But the, the beauty of rankings is, I don't know whether you're right or wrong. It's just a question of how accurate were you with your evaluation and and where you put guys in the order based on what they did in high school, what their college potential would be in their NBA projection. You bet. You got got time for two more questions, Paul? Two. Yep. Who's next? Who's next in terms of stars in the game? Yeah. Who who do you see coming up the, the line here like... Who's who's Ooh. two or three kids that you're really really high on in the next oh, couple of years? That one's easy. Cooper Flag in the class of 2024. Yeah, he's everything people are speaking about. It's one of the best rising seniors uh, that I've seen in, in in a decade plus. Then you have Cameron Boozer. He's in the class of 2025. The son of Carlos Boozer. Yep. He's number one in that class. Flag's number one in 2024. Uh, Cameron Boozer is fundamentally sound as you're ever going to see a, a big man. Reminds me of Kevin Love in many ways. And then in the class of uh, 2026, A.J. DeBansa, uh, 6'7", you can call him a small forward, plays Mm -hmm. a prolific prep. Uh, He could be the best of the three when it comes down the line uh, in the NBA. All lottery picks, future lottery picks, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe flag and maybe DeBansa being number one picks. And um, those guys are the studs. A couple of guys in the class of 2024 to keep an eye on. Dylan Harper, he was number one. Now he's number two, the son of NBA legend Ron Harper. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think he's he's Jalen Brunson 2.0. Mm-hmm. That That's a name to keep an eye on in, in the high school game. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a young man here in North Carolina named Isaiah Evans. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of Brandon Ingram. Okay. Who's in the NBA, played at Duke, Isaiah Evans, has committed to Duke. So a lot of stars coming up in the game, but the names to know are Flag, Boozer, and DeBanza. Gotcha. I I lied. I want to add one more question to my two questions, Uh, but it's a quick one. Uh, Wimbanyama, I mean, how good can he be? You know, he's going to be as good as people think. Yeah. Which which is – top shelf NBA all-star. I, I just think we all think it's going to happen quickly for a lot of reasons. His size, his, his, his media coverage, all right. His skill level, you know, playing for Greg Popovich who had Robinson and Duncan. Yep. Um, I, I think he'll be an NBA all-star. I think if he hits his potential, we're looking at, you know, the next face of the NBA. Gotcha. Um, last question. What is next for the game of basketball? At what level? Uh, any any level. Let, let's say just you know most of the coaches that are going to listen to this are going to be uh, high school coaches, but we've got college coaches that listen. We we, we have some professional coaches that listen. So uh, just just kind of where do you see the next trend overall? What's gonna what's gonna trickle down from the let's let's rephrase it. What's gonna trickle down from the top levels that's gonna end up at the high school levels at some point in the next five to seven years? Well, the number one thing, and I said this before 
we've got to get a national shot clock mm-hmm. in the high school game. So every coach that coaches in this country is coaching with a shot clock because we have it in the women's game. Um, and then we got to get it in the women's high school game as well. So adjusting to shot clocks, coaching with shot clocks, players want shot clocks for a multitude of reasons. It's great for the fan base. So I think that's something that eventually we're going to say, hey, there's a shot clock in the United States at every level. Uh-huh. That, I think, would be number one. Uh, number two, I think th- the way the game is going with skill is only going to increase. It's fun for the fans to watch. Um, you know, more players have a chance to play at higher levels if they can be skilled versus in the past. It was all about physicality, size, strength. You know, it was a big man's game. Uh, now it's a skill game, uh, although we still need the big man uh, for a lot of reasons. But skill is allowing the smaller players uh, to be better in the game and to advance deeper, I think, into the game, high school and college, with, with a possibility of playing overseas and, and possibly in the NBA. We, we've seen the likes of Trey Young. There's another name. Now, he was a McDonald's All-American, top 25 player in the country, thought he'd be a star in college, thought he'd have to work his way into the NBA. Boy, was I wrong. He's a star in the NBA. I don't know who saw Trey Young as a star in the NBA, except for Trey Young and his dad, Ray, Mm -hmm. uh, who was a really good player in college at Texas Tech. But Trey Young helped transform the game for guards, just like Steph Curry. Yep. Coach, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. We we said forty five minutes. We're at right at forty nine. So uh, I, you know, we went four minutes over. I apologize, but uh, I just I, I want to thank you so much, and and I hope you enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin podcast. And uh, if folks want to look you up, where can they find you? Well, I'm on Twitter at, at Paul Biancardi, and also on Instagram at Paul Biancardi, and my website is coachbiancardi.com. I have basketball camps, and I put a lot of information about recruiting, basketball, player development, evaluation, rankings on both platforms, and I try to be informative and um, try to keep everything real and relevant uh, for today's player, for today's parent, for today's coach. And uh, I love the name you have, the pen and the napkin, because Coach Majerus had his book called The Life on a Napkin, Yeah, where you know he always would doodle some X's and O's on a napkin, and then he wiped his mouth with that napkin. It's kind of <laughs> cool to see. But uh, we, we had a lot of dinners together, and uh, appropriately, he, he, his book was named Life on a Napkin, and you have pen yeah. and a napkin. Well, so, while, while he was talking about offense? Sorry, about offense and dessert. Oh, offense and dessert. Yeah, awesome stuff. Um, Paul, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I really appreciate it. Um, if you could hold the line a quick second while I wrap things up, just again, thank you so much for your time here tonight. Got a lot of, I, I'm sure our coach is going to get a lot of great stuff out of this conversation. All right, Marty, thank you. You bet. Uh, again, Paul Biancardi, uh, National Recruiting Director for ESPN, evaluating, and, and we got a we got a ton of things that we went through here tonight. I hope you folks have enjoyed it. Uh, if you need anything, let me know. You know how to get a hold of me. Uh, DM me, add a pen and a napkin. Email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, again, I want to thank Paul for his time tonight. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.